Welcome to Wistful Thinking from the Cage Club Podcast Network. It's a podcast where in each episode, our guest picks a piece of film or pop culture from their childhood that they remember loving but haven't revisited in a while. And we all watch it, talk about it, and see if it's still good all grown up. You can find us online at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And follow us on social media at WistfulPod. In this week's episode, we're talking about Hey Arnold, the Nickelodeon cartoon that debuted in I'm Cara Gale O'Regan. You may know me from such podcasts as Keanu Club here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, where I serve as their Bill and Ted expert. Or you might also know me from my own show called In Sickness and in Health, where I talk to people about issues related to chronic illness, disability, healthcare, and mortality. With me, I have my co-host, Jordan Poland-Clark. Hello! Who you may know from other shows here on Cage Club. And our guest today is Abby Norman. Hello! I'm the only person here who doesn't have three names. (laughs) (laughs) Aw, we could give you another one. (laughs) Abby is a writer whose medical memoir will be out in March 2018. Uh, You can find her all over the internet, and you can also hear her on anchor.fm and on the anchor app with her show let me google that let me google that in which she talks about wikipedia wormholes on obscure and interesting topics today we'll be talking about a few episodes from nick toon's classic hey arnold which premiered in 1996 the show centers on a fourth grader named arnold who lives with his grand who lives with his grandparents in an urban boarding house Episodes center on his experiences navigating big city life while dealing with the problems he and his friends encounter. Uh, Abby, you picked three episodes. Um, do you want to talk about a little bit about why you chose Hey Arnold and specifically why you chose the episodes that you did? Yeah, totally. Um, so I I remember watching this show as a kid. Um, it came out when I was like five or six you know elementary school um and of course the characters were all kind of in that same age group um but it had you know even even remembering it now as an adult like it had some very sort of emotionally um driven storylines and it was it had some particularly very mature storylines in terms of the types of um things that would happen to the kids or their experiences or, you know, um, the things that went on in this this fictional city, which I've read was supposedly based on, like, a combination of, like, Portland, Oregon and Seattle and uh, Brooklyn, if you could, like, put them all into one, you know, city. But everything is experienced from the perspective of kids. Um, and so in, in my adulthood, um, as a writer, I've connected with a lot of different people and uh, I met a woman who was a producer for not just Hey Arnold, but actually Rugrats and 
Ah, Real Monsters, which was another show that I really, really liked. Um, and so she and I actually had this really long conversation about how um, how a- Hey Arnold sort of approached some um, like more adult themes, I guess, in terms of um, so, like I mean economic you know disparity or the public education system, um, family dynamics you know the the growing pains type things um and she was she had always felt that that was a very conscious decision on their part which i thought was really neat um and it wasn't even so much about trying to entertain the parents which i think a lot of kids shows do like they do a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff to try to you know make it um interesting for for adults who maybe have to sit through episodes um that their kids are watching but with Hey Arnold, it was much more, I think, granular than that. And it was, you know, trying to convey these these truths about life um, in a way that a kid could kind of, in some way, even if they didn't necessarily know it, you know, specifically, that they could kind of interpret what the emotional motivation was. Um, so that has stuck with me in my life. And so when I figured out that the whole series, uh, which I believe it was five seasons, it got five seasons, um, that they were on Hulu, I was like, oh, I want to rewatch this. Um, and so the three episodes that I picked um, for this it all deal with different sort of elements of um, characters struggling through some kind of, you know, really some kind of either mental health situation um, or uh, sort of, a, you know, feelings of, you know, not not fitting in or having some sort of challenge that they need to kind of get really cerebral about to try to understand. Um, and, the, you know, hey, Arnold, like Arnold, the, the little kid character, he always seems to get in the middle of this stuff, like <laughs> whether it's his friends or his kooky grandparents or people who live in the city that he meets, like he always seems to be kind of like the divining rod for, um, you know, people's emotional turmoil, which I kind of related to. <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, that was sort of, those were like the episodes that stood out to me, and I think particularly um, the episode about Stoop Kid and the episode about Pigeon Man are two that have become part of popular culture. So this whole idea of like, you know, those of us who grew up in the '90s and wa- were watching these shows when they were on in their original run, um, those have become—I don't want to say they've become memes, although I think Stoop Kid might kind of qualify as a meme—but um, they've become something that's that's referential um for like millennials i mean you know if you if you say to somebody who's in their early 20s you know you know stoop kid never leaves the stoop i mean people you know so many people remember that even if they don't know why um so i thought that those were two that people would probably remember and then i just really was quite affected by um the Helga on the couch episode, which was like a special, it was like a full 20 minute episode, like just for that, instead of it being two 10 minute segments, which is how they usually ran. Um, and even before I started rewatching it, I, I remembered a lot about that episode and I found that I was almost more affected by it, watching it as an adult, having like way more emotional context for it. Um, and having gone through my own journey and, and, you know, being, you know, trying to imagine like, oh my God, like what, ha- you know, what happened to this kid? You know, when she, you know, if, if we were approximately the same age, you know, if we all lived in the same universe, she'd be like a grown up now. And, you know, we're, you know, what, what would have become of her kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I went with that. 
I definitely agree with you on the Helga episode, and we'll get into that a little bit more later in the show. Uh, I actually had to watch that one twice because the first time I watched it, I was like feeling very emotional and couldn't really like absorb it. Um, but back to your point about um, the different like issues and topics that the show dealt with, I wound up watching uh, several more episodes just because I found myself very taken with the artwork on the show. It's really quite beautiful um and I saw some episodes that dealt with like learning disabilities gender stuff family dynamics you know and and so many um outsider characters not just pigeon man and stoop kid but the show does a really great job of highlighting like different kinds of intelligence and um like I think part of the reason that Arnold gets involved in so many of these situations is that it's very clear that like he's like much more emotionally intelligent than I think a lot of the other characters. Um, but it the show does a, a good job of like highlighting those intelligences and placing value on them and like not passing judgment, which I think is really valuable for kids. When I think that's what Arnold is good at, he never passes judgment. And so that makes him the perfect protagonist because he's super accepting of everybody and he seems to be willing to get involved in everybody's business in a way that's he wants to help, it seems like. Yeah, and I think that that was something that maybe even as a kid I on some level maybe aspired to a little bit was that he he does get in, he like he does get involved in people's lives and in their business you know he sticks his nose into things but only from a very pure kind of place of wanting to help and you know I think that that's a quality that I've noticed as I've grown up and then interacted with children um that is it's innate to a lot of kids but I think that adults sometimes don't perceive it that way and that you know those those qualities get sort of stomped out because you know adults say things like you know oh that's you know don't get involved or that's none of your business and you know and they they don't want kids to intervene or they're afraid that if kids you know stick up for somebody else at school or you know try to engage meaningfully and emotionally with people that they're going to get hurt in some way um and i think that yeah, I mean, the way that this show sort of, and it had such a huge cast of characters, some of which were, you know, you know, one-off kind of, kinds of things, but it represented such a diverse range of experiences, um, which I think was, I think that's really great for kids to see, even if it is like, you know, animated, but I mean, just, you know, what, what they were able to achieve with that um, was pretty stellar, actually. And I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to think of like shows now that feel like this show felt. And I can't really quite get, you know, I can't quite get there in terms of making a comparison. Yeah. I I think, like, like, I might be totally making this up, but I feel like there was this thing in the 90s of, like, this, the, the message of inclusiveness mm-hmm. felt so present in my childhood. And, like... Um, maybe it's still it's still very present now, but I think in I a really different changed. kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe, yeah. I was also trying to think. I was trying to think of other shows like from our our childhoods, like from the '90s, that did kind of what this show did. Um, like for me, it. 
I can you can see it in the animation right away. Like, like I think there were a lot of shows in the '90s that tried to include a diverse cast of characters, but this particular diverse cast of characters, the way that they're animated, like. I don't want to say they all have something about them that's kind of ugly, but they do. They all have something about them that's kind of, like, really funny looking. Um, And that makes them all, like, very even. Like, everybody in this show is an outcast. You know, Mm -hmm. like, Helga has a terrible unibrow, and the bully guy's shirt doesn't fit him, and Gerald's hair is really high, and Arnold has a football head. Like... It, well, it brings them all together. Yeah, and I think it's a really great convention to use for characters that are that age. They're all like nine years old in fourth grade, which is such a weird and awkward time. Because <laughs> um, I mean, I, you're you're both rather short. I'm extremely average height, but in fourth grade, I was taller than all of the boys in my class, and like so many of the girls were because like we just were, you know, physically more advanced than them and like just I just remember that being like the the very beginning of like the awkward adolescent years um and so I think it's a really great time period for a kid's show or like I mean even uh South Park I believe they start like they were in fourth grade for years and now they're in fifth grade but that's just like a perfect perfect age it is, and I think it's a good age in terms of, you know, development where kids do start to have this this broader sort of awareness socially in terms of like, oh, other people have these rich sort of internal lives. And I think that is so well represented in this show. Um, I mean, Arnold has his, I mean, because I know like, you know, especially with the whole Helga on the couch thing, it was really, you know, sort of looking into that character's psyche. But Arnold's got... I mean, all actually, all, I want to say, like, every character in this show has some kind of, like, tra- I don't want to say, like, a tragic backstory, but, like, they're all dealing with very real and pertinent issues that, you know, whether it has to do with, you know, their parents, like, I mean, Arnold, you know, the, the big mystery of the show was, like, what the hell happened to his parents? Like, why, like, why does he live in this boarding house with his grandparents? You know, what happened to them? And how is it going to affect this kid? Um, you know, and like that whole, the idea of like the, the non-traditional family being, you know, represented across, a, you know, a whole different range of characters. Um, and, and I think that's really, I don't want to say that's like super woke, but like, I mean, there were a lot of things about this show, watching it now in this day and age, in this particular time, um, that I felt like, oh man, I feel very lucky that I grew up taking in media like this and feeling like, oh, this is all totally normal for, you know, this feels totally normal. And like, you know, of course there's a wide range of experiences. And of course, like my friends aren't going to have the exact same situation that I do. I mean, I think, you know, to think that that kids don't grow up with that or if they're, you know, sort of boxed into only certain kinds of media, like that feels kind of scary (laughs) to me. (laughs) Kara, did you watch this as a kid? Yeah, I definitely, I remember seeing it on TV um, as a, as a kid. I, I didn't like tune in to, you know, I wasn't like, oh, got to catch Hey Arnold at whatever o'clock. But I, there were certain things about the show that I definitely rather vividly remember. But at the same time, I don't know how much of what I remember about Hey Arnold is actually about like another show like Recess where I think the <laughs> cast of characters is very similar and like the setting is very similar and like 
you know, that sort of thing. So, so rewatching several episodes this week was, was interesting just to get reacquainted with the characters and the setting. And again, those like gorgeously illustrated backgrounds, um, for the, for the animation. What about you? I watched like maybe the first two seasons. I was a little bit older when this came out. I was 10. Mm-hmm. So by the time it it's really got going, I like wasn't watching this kind of show anymore, I don't right. think. So I actually had never seen the Helga episode. Um and remembered really nothing about the show except for that Arnold had a football head and Helga was in love with Arnold. That's all I remembered about this show. Um, and it seems like, like just based on the episodes that we watched, it like got better as it went along. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much in that Helga episode. Um, and I feel, I feel sad to have missed it kind of. Yeah. Well, there's, um, interestingly, so the creator of the show, whose name is Craig Bartlett, he actually created the character of Arnold um, for Pee-wee's Playhouse, of all things. Uh, He started out with claymation and actually had these, like, short little uh, vignettes of claymation Arnold and Penny was um, his, like, friend character. And... um, when Nickelodeon brought him in to develop a series, they paired him with like five Rugrats writers and they were, you know, like in a writer's room for however long and tried to come up with all of these pitches that all apparently were terrible. And so in the pitch meeting as a last resort, uh, Bartlett actually played the Penny and Arnold tapes from Wee's Playhouse. And they actually said, yes, let's develop this as a show. Um, but his original intention was actually to center the Penny character and have her be the main character, which I found really interesting because as I was researching Hey Arnold and like even just like browsing through Hulu and seeing the um, the thumbnail images for each episode, it seems like more and more as the show goes on, it's actually about Helga and not necessarily about the title character, Hey Arnold. Which I think is a really nice way to, like, a nice direction to have a show like this go in that has such a rich kind of supporting cast Mm -hmm. and a main character who isn't, doesn't seem to be kind of in turmoil himself. Um, Like I said, I don't remember a ton about this show. Like, were there episodes where Arnold's problems were like the main part of the story yeah I think so um one of the episodes that I watched I and I can't remember if it was like the other half of the episodes that we were supposed to watch or like a separate episode but in one storyline uh he's over Gerald's house and sees this big you know quote-unquote traditional family dynamic and is like really jealous of that and Gerald realizes that he's actually never slept over Arnold's house and that whenever he goes over there they go straight to his room and he doesn't know what any of the rest of the boarding house is like Um, so he goes over to Arnold's house one day and it turns out it's the first of the month so Arnold has to go around collecting rents and he's super embarrassed that his friend has to see this like 
wacky situation that he lives in, this non-traditional family. Um, and it, it seems like, at least from the episodes that I watched, that Arnold has a lot of, um, I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but a lot of just feeling uh, different because his family is weird and he doesn't have, you know, a, a traditional mom and dad and that sort of thing. So at, at least in that respect, like... Abby pointed out that like the central question of the show is like what actually happened to Arnold's parents. Um, he definitely has some some trauma around that. There was an episode that was sort of the it was like the Arnold version of Helga on the couch where they where he finally like I guess it was like the whole it's like the dreaded like parent teacher conference situation or something where he has to really confront. Um, and almost like internally, but also externally, like almost in a very public way, um, you know, what his situation is. And, you know, his grandparents kind of fill him in a little bit about what happened. But then you have to remember, that, like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's supposed to be like in fourth grade. So how like so much of what they do say about his parents is said in a, in a sort of thinly veiled type of way that, you know, watching that now you'd be like, oh, well, there's a good chance that they're dead. But, you know, a kid who's like nine or ten years old would would of course still you know interpret that to hold out some hope you know so it's there's a sense of like it not being resolved um but definitely something that naturally comes up for him um on a fairly regular basis but then you know you you also have situations like like helga um where she from the outside has a fairly traditional family situation she has mom and a dad and a sister um, and they're, but they're all like, you know, <laughs> like very dysfunctional, um, right. in some very recognizable ways. Very recognizable. <laughs> <laughs> when you're, when you're a grown up, anyway, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I intoned as much about exactly what was going on in her house when I was a kid. I think I understood that it was dysfunctional. I don't think I understood how, how specific it, it was until I watched those episodes as an adult. Um, but yeah. It was so interesting to, to go to Helga's house and like her house is really sad. Um, and yeah, like to recognize that as an adult, but to also know that if I wasn't reading into what they were presenting, it doesn't, they don't present it in a way that's like outright sad. Like, they keep the tone appropriate for children, really. Um, but that was heartbreaking. Yeah. I, so I guess um, I should probably summarize the episode really quickly. Uh, Helga on the Couch is an episode in the fourth season. Um, a school psychologist from like the school district, I guess, comes into the school and says like, oh, I'm just here to like observe and see if there are any kids that are candidates for psychological treatment. And the principal uh, insists that PS 118 is the picture of mental health cut to Helga, like barreling down the hallway, shoving people out of her way, being extremely mean to people. Um, and so it, it the, the psychologist observes all this and, and notes that she has some antisocial tendencies um, and recommends therapy for her. And then the, the rest of the episode is kind of the fallout within her home and then also her kind of unpacking why she is this way in a therapy session. And I, I it's 
I, I thought this episode was really successful in um, kind of coming at this question of like, why is Helga the way that she is the way that a person like the way that Helga would come at it? You know, like when you go to therapy, when you start unpacking things, you're like backing ass backwards into this thing that's like probably really obvious for everyone else. But it's like, you know, you have a total blind spot for um, and, and over the course of her therapy session, you know, she's very, she tries to keep everything really like, I'm cool. I'm, I'm totally sane when like, uh, just directly under the surface, there's a lot of hurt there. Yeah. I feel like we learn like for Helga, like every, like the reason she's like that is, you know, it's about control for her. Like, nobody listens to her at home. She has no control over her home life and how she's able to feel in her home life. So when she goes out into the world, she presents this, like, tough facade so that nobody can get to her so that she can be the boss of every situation that she finds herself in. And she tries to be the boss of this, too. But it doesn't last for very long. Yeah, I thought that the the way that that episode was written and and narratively structured to sort of mimic the the you know psychoanalytical process was really brilliant and it's something that i i'm sure i you know experienced watching it when i was younger but as an adult who has been in who has herself been in therapy for 10 years can can really appreciate um the pacing and i think Mm -hmm. one of my favorite parts is um right when she comes in like she's just gotten there you know, in the, you know, she's in the, the therapist's office or right, well, right before she comes in, she, she runs into uh, Phoebe, her, Phoebe is the friend, her little friend, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, she's, she's all embarrassed and she, she thinks she's like ashamed that she's there. And her friend, you know, just like basically pops up long enough to be like, you know, it's the nineties, Helga. Like, you know, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with psychotherapy. Like it's totally like legit and you shouldn't feel bad about it. So like, that's like the, you know, that that sort of little aside, you know, to be like, let's just get the let's get the shame thing out of there, like, because you know her parents had been like, oh, don't go, don't go in there and tell anybody anything, you know, keep the dysfunction, you know, a secret, you know, don't don't talk about it, um, you right? Know, so we can sick as our secrets, right? And you know, you can see where she where she got that sort of shame from, and then she walks in and um, like you know, she's kind of like looking around and sizing the place up, and she. And this I didn't this is something I did not remember until I rewatched it. And then when I rewatched it, I had to be like I had to, I just went like, "Oh my god." Um she she points out that the therapist has like an Edward Hopper, an Edward Hopper painting. <laughs> yeah, this is my and, favorite part of the episode. And she I'm like, "What? Shit, really?" <laughs> like I totally didn't even, you know, and as if to imply, you know, that really, you know, Helga's like I mean, she's got these sort of emotional things she needs to work through, but She's very observant and and creative and smart and and that's probably one reason why you know she's coping with these things the way that she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean she is intensely creative and intensely like just so far beyond you know the realm of of a normal fourth grader. Like not only does she she n- notice the painting like she knows it's a it's a Edward Hopper painting. Um, and uh, the doctor, and she asks the doctor if she likes Hopper, and she's like, "Yeah, I, I like him a lot." And Helga says, "Yeah, he's okay. He's a little simple though." 
and what's his deal with women? Because Edward Hopper painted women, like, mostly. Um, and that was just, like, one kind of, like, you know, throwaway line um, of many throughout the episode and other episodes where Helga has this, like, incredible knowledge. And, and going back to what I said before about, like, different kinds of intelligences, like, Helga obviously in addition to like being in this home environment that is um like toxic at best <laughs> um <laughs> if not like outright you know uh i don't know but um in addition to that like she obviously just has this like intense creative energy and is so so smart like that um shrine to arnold that she has built in her closet is pretty incredible yeah <laughs> yeah it is yeah she's an artist yeah she absolutely is for sure um and and that's like I, myself as an artist like and recognizing some some family dynamics that may or may not have occurred in my own home like that's why this episode was like really actually very uh intense for me like emotionally because it was just kind of like i i I didn't turn outward the way that Helga did. Helga, like we see in in flash in flashbacks that like she learned to be mean to be seen, you know, because her like at home she was just felt like she was completely invisible. I didn't do that. I kind of turned inward, <laughs> trying to be as imp as invisible as possible. Um, but it's it just a really interesting family dynamic, um, and I I really feel for Helga a lot. Yeah, and I think this, that even you could even kind of extrapolate that, you know, the way that her parents. Well, I don't want, I don't want to give her mom that much credit because I, th as an adult, I'm like, oh my god, her mother is an alcoholic. That I mean, that's, right. that right, yeah, is, definitely. I was like, I oh wasn't my god, sure if that's what was going on because she at one point is like, ugh, I need a smoothie, and I was like, is that like a euphemism for alcohol or is she just really absent-minded no but she also i mean she also is like super loopy all the time mm -hmm. but there's also that one part where it's like the morning time and her mom had slept on the couch and woke right. up and tried to like fake it like she didn't sleep on the couch yeah yeah and actually the whole smoothie thing was like a running gag and not even like you know i mean it was a constant thing like she like that when that character shows up she always has a smoothie always i mean so it was kind oh, of like yeah. when i put that into context i was you know watching it again i was like oh my god that's that's you know and she or she like falls asleep at the dinner table kind of thing you know mm -hmm. and i'm like oh wow you know that's that's really heavy stuff and it's yeah. but it's the way but it, it's presented in the way that a child would perceive it um right. which would be that you know she'd be none the wiser about the specifics other than that her mother was fairly neglectful and that her father definitely gives preferential treatment to the older sister who is what you might say you know high achieving book smart you know has that kind mm -hmm. of intelligence that people tend to to um like gravitate to or prioritize or think is somehow superior to other kinds of intelligence while completely being you know unaware of the fact that Helga has this you know I would say even more than precocious but you know that has this is very astute um, and has just a very, like, you know, sort of rich inner life um, mm -hmm. that is being somewhat, you know, she's not something that she's able to, to necessarily use in a, in a way that's, 
even, you know, probably even maximizing her enjoyment of it because she just doesn't have the social supports. Um, And I thought that it was, you know, like I hadn't really, until that episode, I hadn't really thought about the, you know, the sort of preferential treatment of the older sister other than, oh, well, you know, like there's always that one sibling kind of thing. But I was like, no, I think it really is kind of a, like an allegory for how, you know, maybe those types of, of achievements or that particular form of intelligence is, is sort of heavily prioritized. Yeah. And her father is so, so, so severe. And she calls him a blowhard, which is like one of my favorite <laughs> words. And it's so perfect for this guy. Um, there was another episode that I watched about um, a spelling bee that Helga was competing in. And Olga, her older sister, had won the spelling bee, you know, so many times. And her dad had this story that he would tell over and over and over again about how she won with the word qualm. Um, and he's like trying to rig the spelling bee so that Helga will also win because like Patakis are winners. Um, you know, it's just like a really what a what a bummer of a dad. I, I also watched the end of that episode because it was before one of the other ones that we watched. Um, and I, I, I saw, you see at the end of that episode, she misspells the word um, on purpose. The mm-hmm. word qualm is the final word and she misspells it on purpose and Arnold wins the spelling bee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like if you look at that and if we look at her in the therapy episode, like she gets... She gets these like little joys from finding ways to be herself, even though at her house she's like not allowed to be herself. Yeah, like that's, that's a really in, good way to put it. Yeah, like in the in the therapy episode, the therapist tells her, "You're not sick. You just feel your feelings very strongly," and like that she gets so much joy from that because somebody gave her permission to be who she is. And that's like the most powerful thing that that really anyone can give to anyone, but like yeah. that an adult can give to a child to help a child become who they're going to be. Like that's so powerful. Right. Especially when she's been told over and over and over again by the people who are supposed to be the most supportive of her that like who she is is not okay. Um, yeah. It's so sad. I also really liked that she gave Helga like full out permission to like be obsessed with her crush, mm-hmm. which like I feel like even as an adult, I still like need that permission. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we actually we see the genesis of her love for Arnold, too, um, in that in the preschool flashback that she had to walk to school in the rain by herself because her parents are so neglectful and she is you know covered in mud and is all wet and then happens to like get to the school just as Arnold is being dropped off by his granddad and he says I like your I like your bow because it's pink like your pants and it you know that's like the the seed of her love that then just blossoms yeah that validation I mean, I think it's such a, it's actually such an incredible metaphor for how like psychological transference works um, in the sense that in a lot of ways you could say that, you know, the, you know, that the, the fact that he validated her and she felt recognized and seen and appreciated and maybe even in, in, in some way, you know, cared about um, that she then sort of is, is taking what she's not getting from her parents and um, 
and you know, and, and kind of applying it outwardly onto onto him. Um, and in the same way that she then takes all of that sort of pent up anger and like, you know, punches the wheezing kid in the face, <laughs> you know, it's like all those little things that she does, just her personality to be more uh, external rather than internal. That poor wheezing kid. He yeah. loves her. He loves her and she punches <laughs> him in the face. Yeah. Oh, man. What a tangled web we what, the, what a tangled <laughs> web we weave. Speaking of tangled webs, I don't know if that's a, a good transition to uh, talking about Pigeon Man and Stoop Kid. These are two episodes from the first season. Unless you guys had anything else to talk about with the uh, Helga episode. No, we can segue into the into the okay. other dudes. Right, so Pigeon Man, Stoop Kid, two episodes from the first season, both about urban legends, which I, I found really interesting. Um, anything that you want to talk about right off the bat? Um, I'm trying to figure out which one it would make the most sense to start with. Um, because they both kind of, other, and it's fun, you're right, they do both kind of have the urban legend vibe going, which is, I'm not surprised I, I gravitated towards that, because that's definitely a thing for me. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like they're on some level, again, we're kind of, you know, looking at, you know, two two outsiders. I almost wish these two episodes had been together. I wish they had been in the same, um, like these two segments had been in the same episode because I think they're, all, they're, they're kind of complementary in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah, the plot, like I feel like the plot structure of these is very similar. Like it's introduced... Like Gerald tells of these urban legends, the stoop kid and the pigeon man, how each of these outsiders kind of got to be the way that they are. And then Arnold starts poking around um, and kind of changes them, although kind of to different outcomes in both for stoop kid and pigeon man. Yeah, and I think the thing about the thing that stuck out to me rewatching the stoop kid episode, because the thing about the thing about the stoop kid thing is that that was like, like I said in the beginning, there's there's something about that that has like a certain sort of popular culture vibe to it. But I it had become that to me, and I had kind of forgotten about the specifics around that episode, um, and sort of what the real you know, arc of the story was. Um, and I think that this idea that you know here we have here we have Arnold who is all, you know really very he's like i don't know what is he like chaotic good like or or lawful good i don't know like we should i should do that i should figure that out but you know he he wants to he wants to genuinely help people and and i thought that it was really interesting because you could almost look at the stoop kid situation where okay so he's you know is this like a social anxiety type thing or an obsessive compulsive type thing to um, me it read as like agoraphobia yeah that's what i thought too. yeah yeah exactly um and this idea that Arnold wants to help him from his perspective of, you know, his life will be so much richer if he leaves his stoop, you know, if he if he has this life, you know, without understanding maybe the specifics behind that. Um, and then sort of ultimately, you know, what I what I love about that is that he he you know, everybody is kind of fascinated with him with this whole like stoop kid thing um, such that when when Arnold has 
conceivably talked him into at least trying to leave the stoop. Like, the whole city comes out to, like, be like, you can do it, stoop kid. <laughs> you know, like... Well, no, at first they're, like, taunting him and and being really terrible and, and chanting, stoop kid's afraid to leave the stoop. And then as soon as he steps off, like, this taunting leering crowd turns into like cheers and and support which i thought was a weird mixed message yeah it's a very <laughs> weird mixed message yeah and like and I, well i thought it was interesting because i think you know the whole idea that you know arnold is really trying to do this because he's you know he wants to like make his life better you know he wants to make stoop kids life better and make it easier for him to like you know go up against the people who who heckle him you know it's like you can't you know you can't like you know confront people from your stoop like you have to leave your stoop to to have these confrontations with people who you know misunderstand you um which in which he kind of does but then in the end he's also like yeah but i'm still gonna stay on my stoop which i thought was like in a way kind of metaphor like the metaphor of like you know you can only you can, you know, you can only help people as much as they are, you know, as much as they want to be helped, but also as much as they're, like, ready to be helped. And I like that it wasn't, you know, that episode didn't end with him being like, oh, yeah, I'm totally fine with this and I'm going to leave my stoop all the time and I'm not going to spend all my time here. Like, no, it's like what actually happened was he was kind of like, well, you know, maybe I'll do a little bit more leaving my stoop, but I'm also going to hang out here because I like being here. And, you know, there wasn't this, you know, that I felt like that was actually very realistic in terms of you know, trying to help people evolve or, you know, develop out of something. Um, you know, it's not, it's, it's not like a magic cure type thing. It's not like an instantaneous thing. It's, it's more of a process. And Arnold was like frustrated by that and he didn't quite understand it. But, you know, then like, uh, you know, the bully comes up and like heckles him again. And in that instance, he's like, okay, well, I'm actually going to leave the stoop for, because I have a very specific reason. And it's that I'm going to like chase, chase down this kid and like, kick his ass you know so I mean not that that's <laughs> uh, yeah I thought like I also like got to the end of the episode and I was like what's the message here and I was like oh like you know it's an episode about like trying new things and going outside of your comfort zone and then like pretty quickly stoop kid was like yeah no but I like my stoop and I was like oh okay like it's a it's an episode about accepting yourself and then stoop kid was like but i'll leave my stoop to kick someone's ass and i was like okay it's also an episode about how sometimes people don't change right right which was like very rapidly three different messages that were all truer to real life than if there had only been one message yeah there's a, a sort of a layered well people are complex like people people's motivations are complex Right. And that's a lot and for I a kid's something show. We, <laughs> something that we saw a lot in the 90s and also continues to this day is like a complicated situation being easily solved in 22 minutes or less, you know, like on sitcoms and stuff. And I think in this episode, in the Pigeon Man episode, in the Helga on the Couch episode, like these characters, like the, the, issues that these characters have don't get easily wrapped up solved and wrapped up in a bow by the end of the episode it's like okay these characters have you know confronted something about themselves but simply by doing that is not a means to uh easily wrapped up i think you know that's that's a good 
segue into Pigeon Man because I think, you know, a similar thing happens in Pigeon Man. Like, so uh, Arnold has these three pigeons at the beginning of Pigeon Man and one of them gets sick. Gerald tells the legend of Pigeon Man who can fix the pigeon. Important note, they're carrier pigeons. They are carrier pigeons. <laughs> Before we had text messaging, we had carrier pigeons. Well, even then, though, like, Helga was really mad at Arnold for using carrier pigeons because she was like, um, we have telephones. <laughs> so he, Arnold, braves the journey to take his sick pigeon to Pigeon Man to get the pigeon fixed. Pigeon Man accepts the pigeon, says, come back tomorrow. Arnold come back, comes back tomorrow and his pigeon is well and he befriends pigeon man and pigeon man comes down off of his roof and they hang out together for the day um so it's the same thing kind of as in stoop kid where we're like headed towards this like nice happy resolve but while arnold and pigeon man are out having a slice of pizza what's the bully's name harold harold yeah I can never remember it because it rhymes with Gerald, who's the friend. Right, and that's the um, complex, yeah. <laughs> so Harold and his, um, his the other bully friends, they they go up to Pigeon Man's uh, place where he keeps his pigeons and, like, kind of just intend to not really be too destructive, but kind of just, you know, mess with it. But they accidentally, like, basically tear the whole place down and set all the pigeons free. So Arnold and Pigeon Man return to find that it's trashed and everything's ruined. Um, and so, and, and in the end, Pigeon Man literally flies off into the sunset with pigeons carrying him, which was really beautiful and really strange. <laughs> God, I'm like gonna tear. I'm like getting teary just thinking about it because it it's, was. It's so beautiful, like the the way that it's animated. It, like like pigeons just emerge from his jacket, all tied to him, and then he like flies off into like the pigeons take off, and he goes with them into the sunset. And he says, "Remember to always wash your berries and fly That's towards my the part. sun." Um, but it like. As I was watching it, I actually rewound it because it was just, like, such a beautifully, beautifully animated scene. Yeah. But it's the same kind of thing where, like, it, like, that was a beautiful ending, but it wasn't really a happy ending. Like, Arnold didn't change this guy's life to where, you know, the guy seems happy enough, like, whatever, to each his own, but the, I feel like the traditional happy ending would be, like, oh, and then Pigeon Man came down from his roof and, like, was kind of a more normal person, you know, for the rest of his days. Um, but because of this destruction that's happened and because of the change in Pigeon Man's life, he actually leaves, presumably, forever? I don't know. Does he ever come back? Well, that's the thing, is that there's... so. I didn't I didn't think about this until I like was specifically rewatching this episode but the whole the whole big thing you know the whole big speech he gives is very in the vein of um like the the end of the grapes of wrath and you know so he has this whole thing about like you know you've taught me that I can like trust people and I'll like never forget that and you know I mean first of all wow I mean 
Arnold, what? You're like 10 years old and you've just like changed this man's life, like, you know, completely <laughs> by, by being kind. Um, and so I know that as an adult on like Reddit, which is a terrible place to go, <laughs> and yet I still do, um, you know, people started theorizing, oh, you know, Pigeon Man kills himself at the end. And I'm like, no, that's not what happened. Like, that's not what that was. But there was there was this whole theory that it was supposed to be this giant metaphor for him being like, I don't because he says something like there are some people who are not like are not meant to be around other people. And like that was, you know, one of his motivations for having this like, you know, sort of really poignant relationship with with these carrier pigeons and I think that that sentiment is something that occur- I mean obviously that's a sentiment that kind of occurs in a lot of of literature anyway I mean that idea that they're like you know it's like the Boo Radleys of the world kind of thing um and you know I always interpreted it as you know he who knows where he goes like he goes off somewhere he probably you know he must eventually land, you know, <laughs> he must eventually come down from the sky, but he goes somewhere and he, he can sort of live his life in a peaceful way. But he has, he's had this experience where he realizes that not every human is bad or that not every human is out to, you know, be destructive, you know, destructive in the world. And, um, maybe it doesn't matter where he goes or, or you know, that maybe he just, you know, maybe he doesn't actually get that far. Like, maybe he's still around. And and it wasn't until, like, two days ago when I found out that this new Hey Arnold movie was going to get made that I finally felt some closure about Pigeon Man because they said that he does... He's going to appear in this film, which, to me, <laughs> you know, it was enough. I was like, okay, well, he, he went somewhere. He's still alive. You know, he'd had this really poignant experience. Um, and he's fine. <laughs> you know, and that was like... I'm like, okay, I'll take it. It's been, like, a decade of me wondering about Pigeon Man. But now I know. <laughs> like, he's fine. <laughs> yeah, back to that uh, uh, suicide interpretation of the end. Um, so there was actually a rumor that there was an alternate ending where that actually did happen, like, explicitly. Also, there was a rumor that the Twin Towers were somehow featured in the ending and that it had to be rewritten after 9-11, but neither of those things are actually true. <laughs> Oh my god! Actually, the whole nine eleven, the whole nine eleven thing, I probably would have bought for like five seconds because there are actually uh, other episodes where, you know, some, you know, buildings that definitely look like they were in, you know, homage to the twin towers in this fictional city, um, were present in in some episodes. But it's never, you know, but, but of course it's never explicitly said that they're in New York. They're in, I think it's called Hillwood, is their city. Yeah. That's an amalgam of many different cities. Um, but knowing that, if I had, if I had known that theory previously, I would have been like, oh, actually, yeah, because they do appear in other episodes. Yeah, but this is from season one, which aired in 1996, and also the show wrapped production, like, December 2001, so it wasn't even like they were working on the show much longer after that uh, happened. That's true. That's so. true. Yeah. Um, before we started recording, you said that somebody of note does Pigeon Man's voice. Oh, well, we have a connection from a different podcast. Yeah, um, the guy who does Pigeon Man's voice, who I, oh, I closed my window. I had a hard time pronouncing his name. Um, he also did the voice of a character in Casper and Wendy, which is a Casper movie from 1998. 
Yes. So and happened to be uh, the sequel to one of the movies that we've done so far on this podcast. Oh, that's a cool right. connection. That yeah. was a fun connection. Another connection that's kind of tangentially related to that and that previous episode of this podcast that we've done um joey lewandowski co-founder of the cage club podcast network was on to talk about casper and mentioned that he had a huge crush on michelle trachtenberg as a child and the original 10 minute pilot episode of arnold of hey arnold was actually shown in theaters before uh harriet the spy Oh my god, I love that movie so much. <laughs> that was a great movie. And uh, as far as like other voices go, there's like a lot of people did voices on this show, but Stoop Kid, voiced by Danny Cooksey, aka Budnick from Salute Your Shorts. Yes. What? That was I had to pause the episode to Google if it was him because I was so sure it was, and it kind of looks like him too. It they does. animated him yeah. to look like him. He's also in Terminator 2, which I watched this week. And nothing else ever again, probably. <laughs> Never <Poor>. heard from <laughs> again. <laughs> um, I have, like, a, a general... So, like, there, like when Pigeon Man flies away at the end, that's a little bit magical. Um, and there wasn't much else that was kind of magical in the episodes that we watched. Although Stoop Kid... Never leaving his stoop is not reality. Yes, I did write down how does he eat, <laughs> where does he defecate, how does this work? And how do the uh, the people who live in that building get in that building if nobody right. can go on stoop kids stoop? Or out, and or out. But so, like, I really like thinking about um, shows or movies where there's a child protagonist, like. I like to think that they're perhaps an adult, like, looking back, and this is how they remember it happening. Or, you know, like, because as a kid, like, your reality is different than your reality as an adult. Um, so I really like thinking about, like, whose lens are we looking through, like, mm. and it's, a, it's an interesting way to interpret, like, I... I think I agree that they didn't really mean for Pigeon Man to commit suicide, but let's say a child had witnessed a Pigeon mm -hmm. Man jumping off of a building. Like, yeah. isn't pigeons flying that man away a very reasonable, like, fantasy that that child would create to deal with that? Yeah. And I think it goes in line with sort of what... Um, what the the showrunners, or it might have been the guy who created it, or, you know, sort of what they what they had said in the beginning that... You know, they wanted it to be really like, you know, the life of a, the life in a in a city that like some you know huge booming metropolis, but as perceived by a child, which is very like, you know, low to the ground and sort of you know <laughs> sort of seeing things from this this reduced perspective that you would notice things in a certain way, but that also lends that element of like magical realism, like those sort of weird things. And I know there were other episodes like that. I think that had to do with urban legends a lot of the time. Like I have a vague memory of one that was uh, probably Halloween inspired where they were like, you know, either looking for some kind of ghost or they were, you know, they take a fairy out to like, I guess what their equivalent of like Ellis Island would have been, um, you know, and they, they search for some, 
something that has a logical explanation, you're you're certain. I mean, as an adult, you're like, oh, well, this is just you know the wild imaginations of kids. But sort of you know getting getting to go on that journey through the perspective of these like fourth graders, um, you know, interpreting these people, and in, in the same way that like you know some of those like you know urban legends or stories that you get told as a kid sometimes you just create those about real people and i think they do mm-hmm. that too so sometimes they're you know they are telling ghost stories or they are you know pursuing these things that are a little bit you know um sort of outside of reality but then a lot of this sort of lore in this this canonical hey arnold universe um comes from the kids and their their perceptions of adults and in sort of how they fill in the blanks about, uh, you know, these people that they, they meet in their lives. And, and Pigeon Man's a really good example of that. And, you know, regardless of, like, what their what their intention was with that ending, um, you definitely could perceive that either way. You know, I mean, either it's it's that sort of magical element that's built in to the canon of Hey Arnold, that it allows for those things, or that it's something that had been created because it's being told through the perspective of a child and we're seeing it through their perception right and how much of that how much of a differentiation is there even between the two right because i feel like those two things are kind of inherently linked in the show yeah the kind of like sort of the male gaze the child's gaze and magical elements and filling in blanks that you don't because like as as a kid you just don't have the information to draw kind of logical conclusions about things so you know like it's part of why kids say the darndest things Uh, right yeah i mean they really do just make up their own worlds and their own realities that aren't like we recognize them as fantasy but the kids don't Mm -hmm. yeah these things are all very real to them and very literal you know everything that they come across all these like sort of enchanted experiences that they have um, are all presented as reality, you know, which is very, that's very much in tune with like how kids express what they experience and what they perceive, which is, which is in and of itself a kind of magic, I think. And it's, you know, you pair that with sort of the, you know, as, as mentioned, sort of the, the really um, sort of, the art of this of this show which i i definitely appreciate um the 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 amount of detail that they put in i mean if you look at like when they're walking on you know doing a street scene or you know the books on the shelves i mean they're very like you know devoted to 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 filling out this universe and and making it feel um immersive and i always think about how I would have killed to have Arnold's bedroom. Like, I don't know if any of the episodes you got a really good look at it, but it's so cool. Like, it's this like fold-out couch thing and a skylight and like a book nook. And I'm like, I want his bedroom. But I mean, that detail is so um, is so rich and and you know, I remember. You know, I kind of it's weird. I, I I'm thinking even now um, that I had in the, my memories of this show. And these particular episodes that I remembered, um, there was a sort of immersive feeling to it. Like, I almost feel like, you know, obviously this isn't, it's based, it's not based on a one particular city or even any cities that I've necessarily spent a lot of time in. But there's something about it, like, that, you know, kind of stuck with me as, like, a feeling. Like, and when I started watching the episodes again, I was like, oh, I kind of remember what it feels like to be in the middle of my living room when I was six, you know, in that house I haven't lived in in like, you know, 15 years. I mean, it was very, it was funny how it could kind of 
you know, take me back there into that place. Yeah. Well, I think the backgrounds, uh, not only do they have so much detail, but they're so colorful. And because they're done uh, mostly in what appears to be colored pencil, there's like a literal texture to the drawings that like you don't get with CGI or some of the other, you know, animation styles that have evolved over the years. Um, and that I think, I mean, I, I don't know if it's like, I, I was drawn to it because I'm an artist myself, but like those backdrops are just so, they feel so tangible. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Yeah. And I think I, because I just was so, I mean, I, I grew up in northern New Jersey. So like New York City is obviously like the city that I understood the best um, and still understand the best. And I was actually surprised to learn that the city in Hey Arnold actually isn't New York City. Right, um, right. It totally is, though. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like because I also always thought it was New York City and then read that it was kind of a mashup of a few different cities so I was thinking about that watching it and like it's New York City but also I grew up in northern New Jersey too so maybe I just want to recognize that yeah I mean there's certain elements to it that definitely read as New York I mean I actually have not been to the Pacific the cities of the Pacific Northwest so I don't know how much of this stuff also is there but like the water towers uh, on top of the buildings are very New York um, and then like just certain elements um, that definitely read as New York to me but but at the same time like now as an adult looking at like they there is a certain amount of diversity among the cast uh the children but like they're still mostly white kids um which i think is something that is more con well i don't know new york city so segregated now it, it's hard to say but i think i feel like in the 90s there would have been more of a mix if that was new york it's very true i was like where i'm like where i'm like are they in brooklyn because I, I i that was one of the things i was trying to you know, think through in my mind before I read that it was an amalgamation. Cause I too, now here I am having grown up on the, on the East coast my whole life in, you know, rural, rural Maine, um, having not been to New York city until I was 18. And I still growing up was convinced that this was New York city, like and that, <laughs> having never been there and only having, I think like the, you know, I knew about it from watching other shows that took place in New York. Um, yeah. but it had a feel to it. In, in terms of, and also because there was an episode that took place on a subway that got, a subway train that got stuck underground, mm. um, which to me felt very New York. I was like, that's a thing that would happen yeah. in New York City. Or like when they go to, they take the ferry out to that island, you know, I was like, oh, well, it's like, it's it's one of those, it's like one of those islands, like off of, of you know, the city. Like, you know, that's like a thing that they have there. Like, so... You know, I too always kind of interpreted it that way. But I do think the diversity thing is kind of interesting because I wonder how much of that was um, reflective of like the, the production team creating these shows. I was actually trying to think about other shows that, that you know, because it's hard to find, <laughs> I mean, not, not a lot of cartoons involve humans that are meant to be humans uh, rather than like, 
you know, the angry beavers, which was just the anthropomorphized beavers, you know? So I'm like, you know, I was trying to think about the other shows that were on like Nickelodeon. Um, And I think that, I think they were almost all primarily white characters or characters that if they were not like explicitly one race were, were, you know, seemed to lean more towards like whiteness. Um, and I wonder how much of that is not so much a reflection of like what the writers would have ideally in- envisioned, but like how much is, you know, sort of intended by the, like the networks. And, and I don't know. I, I, that would be kind of an interesting thing to, to look at. Yeah. I, f- I feel like that's something that content creators are still trying to figure out. Like, uh, yes. I, th- think, I mean, obviously like there's, there's more diversity for sure on tv now and in movies now but as far as like mixing of of all that diversity as far as like creating a show or a movie where like lots of different kinds of people are well represented i don't think that usually exists still yeah i'm trying to think of like ensemble situations that are really really solidly you know represented and I feel like a lot of those do tend to fall into like well it's an ensemble show but you know it's like 85% white people in the in the you know leading or supporting cast Uh, you know I'm really trying to like go through all of the things that are popular on television right now and I'm like what is a show that is like you know has a pretty pretty big cast that is not predominantly white people and I'm like actually really struggling to come up with something (laughs) Well, I think ABC has been doing a really great job, um, but even still, those casts are largely segregated. Like they have Fresh Off the Boat, which centers an Asian family. They have Blackish, which centers a Black family. But like, and and there are you know characters of different races on that on those shows, and it's it's really important to center the experiences of non-white people because you know they exist too. Um, but at the same time, like even on these shows, there's not necessarily, you know, a natural mix. But I mean, that being said, like economically, uh, I, I mean, we're going down a real rabbit hole here. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to start talking about like the history of education, segregation in the United States. Like, you know, it's not necessarily unrepresentative of what people experience in their everyday lives because we are so racially segregated as a result of you know decades of of bad policy yeah i mean you think about like a show um like a truly ensemble show of the 90s um where all of the characters kind of have like that equal stake and it takes place in new york city which is supposedly like you know very diverse and you know like friends but but all six of them were white and they were all pretty much in the same economic class right and even the coffee shop they went to is all white people yeah i mean i'm like what you know and that was you know a contemporary of these shows and it's just i know i'm always interested in how you know i think you can tell a lot more from the writing on on children's shows in terms of a reflection of sort of what the what the sort of um overarching like cultural sort of things are i mean i feel like they you know there's a way to to do that um and it's more nuanced it has to be because 
it's, you know, you're trying to write for kids, but you can tell a lot about, you know, and you could, you know, I'm sure you could use, you know, shows like Sesame Street that have been on for decades. I mean, literally 60 years. Um, and see how they evolve. And I don't, you know, we don't really have anything Which, consummate actually, for that. Sesame Street, even though it is mostly about monsters and animals, <laughs> uh, is probably one of the most diverse shows that's on yeah, the I air mean, and has ever Gordon been and Maria air. were on that since we were kids. Like, yeah. like, and I actually don't even remember any white adults who were on that show. Yeah, actually. Right? I don't even. Sure, I mean, I'm sure there there are. I'm sure there were, but even I mean, even among the the puppet characters, like yes, technically they're not human, but I think that they're like the differentiation of the characters reads in a way that kind of echoes actual diversity. I don't know. Like, I wonder if they, if in kids shows they also just try harder, because adults. Adults consume media for all kinds of reasons, and they can choose those reasons. But I think when we think of our kids consuming media, we like to think that it's teaching them something. Mm. And so there's probably some more kind of effort in the last 20 years to pass along that kind of message of diversity whether or not every show is successful like who knows and not just that but kids are so much more open to people who aren't like them than adults are yeah like it's just like not a big deal to kids whereas like adults might be like i want to watch something with people that look like me (laughs) right or that people people who like have perspectives that align with my perspective Mm -hmm. versus like and actually you know hey arnold was was a good example of a show that that like that clearly was a show for kids that was you know the episodes were you know that they meant they were meant to have some kind of like moral of the story kind of thing but that you know, as we found with the three episodes we talked about, sometimes the outcome or the moral of the story wasn't necessarily what, as an adult, you might have expected it to be. It wasn't always tidy. It wasn't always, um, you know, and this is how it's always going to be. I mean, there were these these outcomes that were more true to life in that sometimes things don't always work out the way that you want them to, or they don't always work out in a way that's happy or... Um, or that they sometimes don't even work out. You don't even get closure. You know, so many things that are such a part of life um, that it was. Inter- it's just so. It, I, you know, I'm I'm like kind of deeply appreciative of the fact that I that as a kid I grew up with with some shows that did that. Um, if I was you know if I was going to be one of those kids that did spend a lot of time in front of the TV because that was sort of you know the experience in my you know socioeconomic situation was that. We all just got plopped down in front of the TV after school, and at least I had, you know, some stuff that that made me think, and that has stuck with me. Even, you know, I mean, geez, that's like, what, 20 years ago, you know, and I'm still Mm -hmm. thinking about this friggin' show. (laughs) Abby, you said something that um, I want to go back to because it was like one of the main reasons why I wanted to do this show, or like why I'm so fascinated by going back in time like this. Um, you said that when you watched this show, you could feel yourself sitting in your living room as a kid. And, like, I feel like that's, like, that's the whole draw of all this nostalgia, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. is because we just want to have that feeling again. And it this makes it so easy to recreate it. You can almost accidentally recreate it, like, 
without even trying to sometimes just by putting on something. I was so bowled over yeah, by that. Just give me a feeling. fruit by the foot and I'm ready to right, go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was like, give me some Dunkaroos, man. And I am like, so there. <laughs> I was really surprised. I was like bowled over by that feeling. And it actually, it didn't happen. It didn't really happen the first episode. It was like when I watched two right back to back, when I just sat down and was like sitting there, like, you know, it was in the mid, like late afternoon and I was kind of tired and, you know, I was watching and I thought, and I had this very, um, like in the interim where they were changing, where the episodes were like changing over and there should have been like a, you know, a Nick at Night commercial or something that had come on in the meantime, I was really struck by this feeling of like, oh my God, I'm thinking about like the first house I lived in 20 years ago and what that living room was like and, you know, sitting on the scratchy Mm. carpet. And I hadn't thought about that in so long, but I was immediately taken back to that sort of, you know, after school, like 4 p.m. feeling you know, where it was, like, kind of sunny but not quite and, like, what was going on in the house. And, like, it was such a strange thing. And in a way, like, you know, I hadn't planned that. I hadn't I hadn't said, oh, I'm going to, like, think about my childhood now. You know, it just, you know, it was a very sensory experience. And I was totally bowled over and, and was not expecting it at all. And then it was, you know, as I went on and was watching the other episode, you know, um, which deeply resonated with me on an emotional level, you know, I was kind of comforted by it in a weird way. And I can really see now, I think, where this whole big nostalgia push for millennials has come from. For me, it's always been just an entertainment thing. Like, I just, I always felt like it was way superficial for me in terms of engaging with, like, BuzzFeed lists about the 90s. Like, I just never thought there was an emotional component to it. But now I'm not so sure. You know, now I think, oh, maybe this is subconsciously sort of tapping into that whole you know, simpler times when I didn't have to worry about, you know, X, Y, and Z adult problems or, you know, when I would come home and and spend, you know, four hours watching Nickelodeon instead of, you know, MSNBC, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's escapism at its, at its core. Um, And being, being able, I mean, especially at a time where it feels like everything's on fire, like it's, it's nice to be able to grab that foot by the foot and you know settle down and kind of regress back to childhood Um, well I also like it often like so in your whole life you you go through your life you you live in one place you are like you know you're having your experiences there you move you have your experiences there and like I personally often like if I'm away from something for a certain period of time, it's kind of like it gets left behind. And like being able to find something that helps you tap into a place or a feeling or a person, like some kind of memory that reminds you of like where you came from and where you've been, like that's really special. Yeah, I mean, it can be, but at the same time, it can also, depending on where you've been and where you came from and what your childhood was like, like, it's not necessarily a good thing, or not necessarily a... It's a complex thing. Warm, fuzzy feeling sort of thing. Yeah, complex is a a good word for it. Like, like I was saying before about the, uh, the Helga on the Couch episode, like, brought up a lot of not good stuff for me, personally. It did for me too, yeah. And I think like, and I think one of the one of the reasons that episode was so potent for me, 
um, was because I had sort of regressed into that space where I could remember what the house was like, which at first was not altogether unpleasant, but when I paired it with what that episode made me think um, and sort of what it made me reflect on, then it did become kind of a little bit overstimulating um, in that in an emotional sense. Um, and, but I think, you know, I'm just thinking like, damn, I wish I'd had this like six months ago when I was trying to tap into stuff to write my book, you know, like those ways to access <laughs> That, yeah. you know, those things that, you know, the older you get, maybe the harder it does get to access them. But I think also being able to do that in a way that, you know, you also are like, okay, I can, you know, I can leave this behind and I can, you know, I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to stay in this place. Like there's, there's some power in that too. Um, oh, for sure. I have also been in therapy for forever, basically. <laughs> so I like kind of have this obsession with like picking and like digging that like maybe isn't a good thing but like I will never stop being fascinated by it so like every time I can uncover something and like really feel it again like I search for that whether or not it's a positive or a negative feeling yeah no I get that I do (laughs) I think like and I think maybe on some level like um when you when you get when you asked me about doing this I I mean I thought there were a couple of of ideas that I had this one felt like the one that I gravitated toward the most and I'm sure there was like some really subconscious emotional reason for that because there, like even we brought up Harriet the Spy that was like my favorite movie when I was a kid like I loved that movie like I could probably recite that movie to you but and I didn't pick it you know that wasn't the first thing that popped up for me which was interesting you know because knowing how much I enjoyed it you'd think oh that'd be the natural first thing so I had to kind of I was like why what was behind all this that, you know, these things were, were more emotionally potent to me? Like, you know, there's, <laughs> there was some to say, stuff to unpack. I have floating this idea past people and being like, this is a podcast that we're working on. If there's something that you think of that you want to do, let me know. It's been really interesting to hear people's responses because at first everyone's like, oh, I don't know. I don't really remember anything in particular. And then they think about it for a little while and they're like, oh my God. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see what else gets unearthed as we are on this podcast journey. Um, Is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about with regard to Hey Arnold? Well, I think we need to answer the question. Is it still good? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Is it still good, you guys? I thought so. I th- I think so. I think I almost enjoyed it more. Oh, I definitely did. Yeah. There was so much more. I mean, I that Edward so Hopper comment, that would have yeah. gone over my head when I was 10. But now I was like, oh. Well, so, so much of it would. She also made a 1984 reference uh, while talking to the doctor. Um, and she was, like, super worried about whether her secret would be um, – kept and is like asking her all of these really asking the therapist all of these really intense questions like would you keep the secret even if somebody was torturing you even if somebody stuck your head in a cage with starved rabid rat which is oh which is uh, yeah that's so funny oh my god yeah it's an allusion to to george orwell's 1984 and like i did i didn't even catch that watching it as an adult i that was something that i read when i was you know researching the episode um so there's definitely, I mean, Helga's character, a lot of the characters are very nuanced, but Helga's character in particular, um, I can appreciate her so much more now as an adult who 
um, is so much more in touch with my feelings. Yeah, same. Uh, interesting note about the Helga on the couch episode. In spite of Helga's like outward toughness, this is actually only one of two episodes where she doesn't cry. Ooh, that's interesting. I think that just further illustrates that how complicated Helga is. She's mm-hmm. not all anger. Yep. Oh, now I want to go watch like a million more episodes because that puts it in such a different context. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, some some other random notes that I had. Matt Groening, uh, creator of The Simpsons, is actually Craig Bartlett's brother-in-law. So he is part of animation royalty. Um, what else did I have? Oh, one of the uh, other episodes that I watched, actually the the first one that I watched because uh, Hulu has them numbered differently than the official episode numbers. Um, it was an episode where uh, Arnold gets assigned to tutor like the class bully in math. Um, and math is something that I have a very, very complicated and not good relationship with. Numbers are, numbers freak my brain out. <laughs> um, and uh, Torvald is the name of this bully who's 13 and still in fourth grade. And it turns out he's actually a genius at money, but he didn't realize that that was math. But he says, math is bogus, which I talked to uh joey and mike on keanu club about bill and ted multiple times and one of the things that we talked about was bill and ted's um influence on teenage vernacular and adolescent vernacular and bogus is is one of the examples of bill and ted's influence on on language um in that like in the 80s, Bogus was still very much a uh, obscure slang term, usually in like surfer subcultures and stuff like that. Showed up in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but still pretty obscure until Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, where words like bogus and excellent, you know, really kind of penetrated the culture and even wound up showing up in an episode of Hey Arnold. So another Cage Club Network connection there. That was a that was an incredible like linguistic journey I just went on. I'm gonna like <laughs> Google the hell out of that now. Yeah. No, it's it's very it's fascinating. All right. Well I think that about does it. Thanks so much to our guest Abby Norman and as always to my co-host Kara Gale O'Regan. I'm Jordan Poland Clark and we'll see you next time for some more wistful thinking. <laughs>